you know, it's funny. You guys were just singing that song, and you saw the typo on eagles. The whole room kind of like, what? Wait, what? What? Where does that? It's eagles, folks. You know, just you know, figure it out. We'll we'll get through it. Uh, can you hear me? Okay. I mean, I don't, that wasn't enthusiastic. Uh, maybe you're, you don't want to be hearing me okay, but that could be okay. We got a new microphone uh, today, and it's like hands-free, you know, so if I want to break out in any dance moves during the sermon, I, I have the flexibility to do that. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Keep you on the edge of your seat. We're starting a new sermon series today, uh, and it's called Heart of God. And I, I'm pretty excited about what we're going to be talking about because I think that this is one of those like crucial, fundamental things that just doesn't get discussed very often. Uh, and not to say that we don't talk about God. Obviously, we talk about God a lot. Uh, but just like this, the, the, in particular, the way we're going to talk about this. And just to start off, what we're going to do is try to set the stage by reading a passage of Scripture because we're going to be talking about the heart of God from right out of the middle of the book of Isaiah, right in the middle. We're not going to start at the beginning. We're not going to go to the end. We're going to be right in the middle of the book of Isaiah in chapter 40. And I know it seems a little odd, like why would you start in the middle? But anybody who has ever watched any of the Star Wars movies know you don't start with one. You start with four. We need to get that correct, folks. You start with four. All right? So we're going to start in the middle discussing the heart of God. So Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, uh, and we're going to look at verse 29 through 31. This is a familiar passage that you're going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, I recognize that, heard that, probably wrote that in a graduation card this weekend. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. I spelled it correctly there for you. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's a good passage of Scripture. It's one of those that we like to put on our wall. It's one of those that uh, people want to post on Instagram because it'll give them a few likes. It's a good passage of Scripture. However, and I don't know if you feel the same way that I do, this is one of those passages of Scriptures that I don't know if it's because it's used so often, but for whatever reason, it kind of sometimes comes across as a little hollow it feels a little bit like a platitude, not really like some substantial promise that we have from God, but a little bit like, oh, here's a nice verse of Scripture that Grandma can crochet on a pillow and, you know, we have it in the house and it's a family heirloom. Not necessarily something that is just like really full of meaning and, and, and heart. So we want to talk a little bit about Isaiah, uh, not, not, not Isaiah, but the pas this passage in Isaiah. We'll talk a little bit about Isaiah. But we want to talk about the heart of God through this idea. <clears throat> Evidently, when I was a child, uh, my parents had friends who would take me as a two-year-old, three-year-old, and they would put me up on high things, tables, shelves, tops of cars, and then they would teach me to jump off those high things to them, and they would catch me, you know, those things that make moms nervous, right? So I, I evidently got uh, so used to this that I would eventually just climb up on high things myself, you know, upright pianos are good because they have the bench and then the piano itself, and you can get to the top, and then I would just launch myself in the direction of the nearest adult. And my dad has described on more than one occasion, he would see this kind of blur, this, this movement, and, and evidently he had good reflexes because he would turn and there would be this little body hurtling through the air at him and he would, he would catch me. And I, I don't know, I think this probably plays into the development of my personality because I struggle sometimes with leaping before I look, you know, just kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. Now, when I had a son, 
I don't know if it was just genetic or something in me or if I just remember those experiences, but I wanted to provide the same thing for my son. I wanted to put him up on top of high things and have him jump to me. And so what we did in our house a lot, we have a set of half stairs that goes from the living room up to the bedroom. It's about eight stairs. And he would stand up on like the second or third stair and he would jump to me and I would catch him. And then he would get more brave and he'd go a little higher and he would jump to me and I'd catch him. And eventually he graduated to the very top stair. He would jump to me and I would catch him. And then just to kind of up the challenge, he would move back down the hallway and he would get a running start and he would leap off the top of the stairs and I would catch him. Now, this isn't a very good picture. I know this is, we took this back when there was only iPhone 5 or something. I don't know. So it's not the greatest picture in the world. But if you go to the next slide, I outline his little body there for you. And it's doing like, he looks like a flying squirrel coming at me through the air. And he's holding his blankie, you know, like little kids have, so maybe that provided a a measure of comfort. And then there's dad, you know, ready to catch him. So this was like something that we would do pretty regularly. Just, it was fun, you know, whatever, just little things dads do. Uh, This is a little insider, but those of you that know uh, the Edwards family know Travis. He's one of our elders, Travis Edwards. Have you ever seen him throw a child in the air? How many of you have had like minor heart attacks no, I know, for real. Too bad Travis isn't here. I'm going to ask him to listen later so he'll know. It's like, like he's causing medical problems at church because people are like, he's like 30 feet in the air, and he's already tall. He's throwing them up in the air. So anyway, I would do this, and it was fun. We had a good time. And uh, then one afternoon, uh, evidently Liam had got so comfortable with the idea of leaping through the air at me that he decided to do it this one time when I think he must have thought I was paying attention or I was just walking by the bottom of the stairs, but I had my back turned and out of nowhere, he like blindside tackles me. I didn't know he was coming. So he hit me right in the back and he falls to the ground and he, I don't know what's happening. Like, you know, he's like 30 pounds just like out of nowhere. Falls to the ground and I took, I, I, I turn around and look and he's fine, he's fine. No medical problems, nothing like that. But he is mad. <laughs> he is mad at me. And he's like, dad, well, he's crying, kind of cry, scream, screech, you know, that they hit that decibel that, you know, like parents love. But he's like, man, he's like, dad, why didn't you catch me? Now, in that moment, a couple different things are happening. The first thing that's happening is I'm like, this child has so much trust in me. Like he will just leap through the air and he will expect me to catch him no matter what. So much trust. Like I felt in that moment, I felt like I'm a dad and this just, just, I love this moment. The second thing I thought is I have now broken this trust. (laughs) I had it for an instant And it's gone. I've broken this trust. So I was like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. Dusted him off. And I'm like, okay, let's do it again. You know, because I want to build up that trust. So we did it a few more times so we would feel okay about it. But that that sense, just even for the briefest moment, that sense that someone would leap off the top of the stairs expecting you to catch them, that somebody, another human being, trusted you to that degree, wow, that is a good feeling. And you parents have maybe experienced that. Maybe you have from your wife or your husband. There's just something you trust them so much and somebody has given that much trust to you, a friendship. It's such a good feeling to experience that that sort of trust. and, uh, And I wanted to make sure that I had been able to rebuild that a little bit with Liam. So as we kick off this sermon series called The Heart of God, I want to explore this question. I want to tackle this question. 
And the question is, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Not quite yet. Next, Matt, getting ahead of yourself. Leap before you look. Do I trust God? And I think this is really a huge question that we don't think about very often. We don't think about, we don't, I mean, we think about like, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I do churchy things, sometimes I sacrifice, but like the fundamental question of my relationship with God is, do I trust him? Because God has asked you to do some things that at the very best you're kind of hesitant about. And in some cases, many of you are sitting here today that you have not done those things that you feel like God has asked you to do because you're not sure you fully trust God. Do I really fully trust God? Do I have a leap off the top of the stairs kind of faith knowing that God is a perfect father and he will always catch me? Do I really trust God? Now, now we can go to the next slide. The question of trust is nearly impossible to answer when life is easy. You don't know how much you trust your spouse when things are great and there's plenty of money in the bank and everybody's healthy and everybody's getting plenty of sleep. You don't know how much you trust your husband or your wife when everything's just perfect. It's when things are difficult that this question of trust actually becomes uh, a question that we need to think about and that we need to, to try to answer. The question of trust is nearly, with God, it's nearly impossible to ask when, uh, answer rather when life is good. Like when your gas tank is full, the bills are paid, it's beautiful weather outside, that's a hard question to answer. Do I really trust God? But when things get hard, let's back up a few verses in Isaiah chapter 40. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, really, if, go, go back one. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? This would be in verse 27, sorry, wrong reference. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? Now, Jacob was just a way of saying the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. It's just like an affectionate nickname. Why do you complain, Jacob? He's asking these people. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Why do you say that? Why, do you, why is that coming up? Because people aren't asking questions like that when life is good. These are not life is good questions, right? I know for a lot of you, Mother's Day is a wonderful day and it feels good and you remind yourself that you're a mother and that you've got kids that love you and you've got a mother yourself. But for a lot of people, Mother's Day is a difficult day because it reminds them of something that they don't have that they wish they did. It's a hard day. And it's a day that we begin to ask ourselves maybe more fundamental questions about our relationship with God. Why did you let that happen? Why is my mom not here? Or maybe you have a strained relationship with a child. Why is that the case? What did I do wrong? Does God not care? Is God not part of this? Is God not part of my life? My way is hidden from the Lord. These aren't laying on the beach vacation questions. These aren't I just got a promotion at work questions. These are life is hard questions questions. Now real quick behind the scenes, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah as a whole, is a book of prophecy. And in some cases, that means he's actually telling what might happen in the future. But in many cases, he's just preaching at people saying, you guys got to get your act together. So through chap from chapters 1 through 39, it was kind of that. Like, you guys got to get your act together because God is sick and tired of the way you're living and the idolatry and all the other stuff. And if you don't shape up, God's going to let this other nation come in, take you over, and rip you out of this promised land that he promised to give you. He's going to take you away from that. And he's going to take you into, you're going to be refugees uh, and slaves in another country. So you've got to shape up first 39 chapters of this. <laughs> I, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach. Just 
no problem. So first 39 chapters of Isaiah. Uh, if you're listening online later, a phone is going off. That's why the huge, weird, awkward pause. So first 39 chapters of Isaiah is this idea that they've got to shape up or they're going to get shipped out. That's the basic understanding of what's being talked about. And in chapter 40, it's like something has happened. Something has changed, and and the tone of the message has has changed, but people are still feeling, because they did get shipped out, but people are still feeling that, like, anxiousness, like, God, you promised us this land, and then we're not in this land, like, what's going on? And God's like, why are you complaining? Why do you say my way is hidden? Why do you say that I'm not listening? Why do you say that I'm not paying attention to what's going on? Why would you put me in this situation? Why are you letting this happen? Why aren't you doing something? God, why didn't you catch me? Can I get a little um, insider baseball maybe for a second and, and, and talk about maybe the experience that some Christians have had? Um, I think, and, and I could be wrong, maybe this is my own experience and not others, but I think that Christians who go through difficult times have grown up with this idea of, of these different answers that we can kind of plug into difficult situations. So for example, uh, Somebody, you know, gets cancer, somebody dies, somebody, whatever. So you're going through, you lost your job, or you got a pay decrease, or, you know, whatever it is, like hard times, right? And we're questioning, like, God, what's going on? I think we've got, like, a carousel of answers, like multiple choice answers that we can plug into different situations. So, for example, you know, something's hard, something's difficult, and we'll say something like, um, well, God must be teaching me a lesson, Right? That's kind of an answer that we'll plug in. Or maybe other people will plug in for us. Maybe I'm supposed to learn something through this situation. And that answer will work for a while. It could be true, but that answer will work for a while. And then you're like, God, I'm not learning anything. I, I think I, I, don't, I don't get this. I'm still not learning anything. So, well, maybe, uh, maybe I have some secret sin in my life. And God is punishing me for that secret sin that I don't know about. And you examine your life and you think about it. And you, you plug in this different kind of answer. Uh, or maybe, you know, it's like a multiple choice. Maybe God is punishing me. Maybe God is testing me. Maybe like whatever it is. We've got all these different answers answers that we kind of try to plug in in hard times, and none of them really like long-term satisfy. They work for a little while, but if the situation doesn't change, then those answers don't really feel like they work anymore. And this is one of the reasons I think is kind of important for Christians to think about. Our problem isn't always with the circumstances of our life. I mean, everybody's got hard times, right? Our problem isn't always with the circumstances of our lives, but it's with like the length how long these things are going on. It's a complaint you see in the scriptures a lot in the book of Psalms. How long, O oh Lord? Are you just going to forget about us forever? And it's not like we can't deal with a difficult time, but it's like, is God going to just come back in? Like, does God care? Is my way hidden from the Lord? Is my cause disregarded by God? And it's, it's just kind of like we get to this point, like this guy's singing the blues, And I think some Christians are like that. They're just down and they're singing the blues and they're still coming to church and they're still kind of there. But when that old hymn, Troublesome Times Are Here, that's when they feel it. That's what they feel. Troublesome times are here. Filling men's hearts with fear. That's a fun hymn, isn't it? We should sing that more often. Freedom we all hold dear. Now is at stake, right? That's a real cheery. That's not your uh, blue skies and rainbows. I think the point is, is that answers that we try to plug into our hard times are kind of like temporary band-aids. Not that they can't be true to some degree, but that these answers aren't always helpful. And it becomes especially unhelpful when we are looking at other people's lives and we're trying to give them some sort of pat answer about what's going on in their lives. That's not helpful because it feels hollow. It feels empty. 
How God responds to this is kind of fascinating to me in verse uh, 28. This is what he says. Do you not know? This is the response to that question. Can God see me? Can God hear me? What's going on? This is what he says. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. That's how God responds to this question of, do you care about me, God? Can you see my problems? Do you care about me? He doesn't give them, this is really cool, he doesn't give them a specific answer. He talks about his character. Now, I think this is very interesting to me. He doesn't say, well, here's why this is happening. Because when we go through hard times, we're asking why questions. But God doesn't give why answers. That's not how he responds to these situations. Do you not know? Have you not heard? I am God. I created everything. I don't grow tired. My understanding, you can't even understand. I'm kind of spontaneous. I think that probably maybe the leaping off of high things without people paying attention bred that into me in some way. But I'm kind of spontaneous, kind of go with the flow type of personality. Um, And spontaneous, for those of you that aren't spontaneous, is just a way of saying I don't plan things out, right? That's what you're thinking right now. Like, oh, you're just not a planner. Okay, I get that. But every once in a while, I'll come home from work and I'll go up to the kids. I'll like, hey, kids, do you want to go do something fun? And they're like, what? It'll be a surprise, right? Because I don't know what it is yet either. But it'll be fun. Like, there's a whole bunch of fun things we can do. It'll be fun. And then they start at me with the why questions. Well, why are we doing this? Like, because I want to spend time with you. Like, well, where are we going? It's a secret. I haven't decided. I don't tell them I haven't decided. I just say it's a secret. It's a surprise. I, so I try all these different things. It'll, and I'll, I'll say this. I'll say it'll be fun I guarantee it. Like a used car salesman trying to get my kids to do something. I guarantee it'll be fun. But they are skeptics. You take them on a 10-mile hike one time and forever after that, because this is the question they always have, are we going hiking? It wasn't a 10-mile hike. It was like a 9-mile hike. It was fine. Where are we going? How long are we going to be gone? And this is always one that gets plugged in there because they know that they'll, you know, this will maybe like bribe them. Are we going to get ice cream while we're there? Is it really going to be fun? Are we going hiking? <laughs> Just a couple days ago, I uh, got all my kids in the car um, and I was driving them home from school and I said, hey, you guys want to go somewhere with me? I'm trying to build up that excitement. You guys want to go somewhere with me? My oldest daughter, Taya, literally said, She literally said these words that I'm about to tell you. This is my own daughter (laughs) saying this to me. She said this, and I didn't even say the word surprise. She said, I can't go on a surprise trip. I hadn't said surprise yet. She goes, I can't go on a surprise trip. I have to go home and wash my face. Before uh, I was married, those are the types of excuses I heard from girls who didn't want to go on a date with me. (laughs) Where you're like, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's a thing. And in fact, if it is a thing, you can still do that thing and go on the surprise trip with me. Like that doesn't mean, what are you going to wash your face for three hours? Turns out it is a long process. But still, like, that's not a thing. The problem is, the problem is, at heart, they don't trust my judgment of fun. 
And the reason is, is because dad has a much more expansive definition of fun because I'm a fun-loving individual and everything's fun. They have a very narrow definition of fun. Is it hiking? Not fun. (laughs) Involve ice cream? Fun. Like, that's about it. Like, very narrow definition. I'm trying to get them to expand their definitions, but they don't trust my judgment of fun, and because they don't trust me, they're all about the details. Church, when we don't trust the heart of God, we get very concerned with how he's handling the details, especially the details of our lives. When we do not trust the heart of God, we get concerned with how he's handling the details. This is important because a lot of us are very concerned with the details. And what that is, not, not saying that this can't be part of your personality. God, I'd just like to know where we're we going, how long is it going to be. But it's just like understanding that maybe at the heart of those questions is a fundamental mistrust of who God is. And when we begin to ask a lot of why questions, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust the who. I don't trust who you are. I don't trust that you're good. I don't trust that you're loving. I don't trust that you're caring. I don't trust that you're paying attention. Why is my way hidden? Is my way hidden from God? Is my cause disregarded by God? And God answers this by saying, I am the everlasting God. I am the creator. I uh, created the ends of the earth. I will not grow tired. I, my understanding is unfathomable. I tried that with my kids. My idea of fun is so fun, you can't even understand how fun it is. Didn't work. When we don't trust the heart of God, we get very concerned about he, how he's handling the details. God, when is this going to end? God, are you sure you know what you're doing? God, do you realize what's happening in my life? And God's answer to those why questions are not why answers. They're who answers. Here's who I am. We ask questions about our circumstances and God answers with his character. And this is why the foundation of our trust in God is not our grasp of the details. If it is, we're in trouble, right? We're in trouble. The foundation of our trust in God is knowing the heart of God. Think about this. Think about the stuff that you don't understand but you pretend to understand. Do you really want the foundation of your trust in God to be whether or not you understand all the details of life? Not at all. I drove away from a gas station with the hose plugged in. Long time ago, right? By the way, they've really come far in technology because the thing will pop off and they can just pop it back on. But when I did it, they didn't have that technology. I'm driving down the road, happy as a clam, like this hose flapping out behind my gas tank. Do, do I want, so what we're saying when we want to say, God, I want to know all the details, I want to know that everything, what everything's going on, we're saying, God, I trust myself. But do you really want to trust yourself? Think about the stuff that you've done that you don't want to get up on stage and tell anybody about. The goofy, silly things that you've done. Do you want to trust yourself? How many times have you answered yes to someone when you didn't know what they were saying and you felt stupid continuing to ask them what? And you're just like, yes. And now you've agreed to do something, but you don't know what it is. 
Because you didn't understand the details. Do we really want to base our trust on our grasp of the details of life? The foundation of our trust is knowing the heart of God. And this is huge. And this is important, church. This is really important. Because some of what you are hearing me say is like, don't worry about the details. Don't plan. Don't care. That's not what I'm saying at all. The why questions matter. They're important. I love exploring the why of what God is doing in the world. I love that. The why questions are important. But they get quieter when we trust the heart of God. Richard Rohr has a quote that I love, and it's this idea that knowing God or knowing the mystery of God isn't just that we can't know him, it's that there's endless knowability. There's, a, there's, there's this huge depth to explore of God, but when we trust the heart of God, those why questions still exist, they don't go away, God, why did you do this? But they get quieter because we trust the heart of God. This is amazing to me. Let's move back to that very first passage we read. Those who hope in the Lord. The word hope is literally patiently trust. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those who patiently trust in the heart of God will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is a promise, not an empty platitude. But the basis of this promise is whether or not you have a patient trust of the heart of God. And that's, that's the ultimate question. Do I really trust God or do I just want to try to figure everything out on my own? There's one last thing I want us to see that I think is kind of interesting and I think it really goes to who the heart of God is as we wrap up this morning. I think this is fascinating. So there is some evidence. I mean, Isaiah is a book of prophecy after all and there is many moments that are prophetic where Isaiah is saying this is what's going to happen in the future. There is some evidence, and not all scholars agree, but there is some evidence that this passage that we're reading in Isaiah chapter 40 was written before the Hebrew people were in captivity, before they were in tough times. Because life was okay. Now there's some evidence that life was okay when this was spoken to them. And they were probably hearing that and being like, trust God in hard times? What is that? My life is fine. And I think maybe some of you feel that way too. Like, what are you talking about hard times? Life is okay. Life is pretty good. It's not the best, not the worst. It's okay. Why are we talking about hard times? That's not, that's not me. But this is what I think is amazing. So if God was speaking through Isaiah to these people before that they were even taken into captivity. This reveals something about the heart of God to me. Think about this. He is potentially anticipating their future doubts about him and who he is and, and, and providing them with words of comfort. I think this is fascinating. Anticipating their future doubts. In other words, the heart of God, listen to this, the heart of God is to know what you need and provide the solution even before you knew you needed it. I think this is huge. The heart of God is to know what you need and to provide what you need even before you knew you needed it. Think about this. Think about this. God offered his healing through Christ to you before you even had any clue that you were broken. You had no idea. You were just wandering through life thinking everything was great and God had already provided the means through which you could be reconciled to him before you even knew things were bad. God runs toward us. The story of the prodigal son. God runs towards us before we even know that we're distant. 
We don't even understand that we're distant from God and God is running toward us to try to remove the gap between us and him. God planned for our redemption before he even created the world. Is that not mind-blowing? God knew the situation that we were going to get ourselves in and provided a solution before he even created the world, the book of Colossians tells us. That's mind-blowing. God provided Christ and Christ loved you and Christ sacrificed himself for you Before you even existed, before you knew who Jesus was, before you knew who God was, that had already been taken care of. And you come to a point in your life and you're like, I need God. And God's like, I'm already there. I'm already there. That's the heart of God for you. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through, but I feel like there are people in this room that struggle with trusting the heart of God. Does God care about me? Is my way hidden? Is my cause disregarded? And God says, not only do I not know what's going on, but I have already provided the solution. It may not be what you want, and we're going to talk about that next week, but it's what you need. I think this is so important for us to understand as we try to delve deeper into a relationship, a disciple relationship with God. Hear me say this. The best understanding of the heart of God that you will ever get is through Christ. Your knowing who Jesus is is your best way to knowing who God is. That's the best way that you can know who God is, that you can know the heart of God. So my prayer here this morning is for us to say uh, that I want to I trust God. I want God to take me through that process of like getting rid of my worries and my doubts so that I fully trust who he is. And so I think that needs to start by our prayers changing a little bit. And when you're going through something difficult, I think your prayers need to be less, God, fix this situation, and more, God, let me know who you are. I want to know who the heart of God really is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful uh, that you take care of us. Uh, God, we, we are such a mess sometimes, and I know not all of us feel that way. I know some, some of us think that we've got our act together, but Lord, I just pray that we would understand that we are a mess and that we are a mess in need of a Savior. And I just pray that you would help us understand that, that your heart is to love us and care about us and provide for us, even when we don't understand what's going on, even when we don't grasp the details of life, the details of difficulty. I pray that we would, we would learn to lean more on who you are and not so much on whether or not we get everything that's happening. God, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for being able to stop and celebrate mothers, but Lord, our hearts are also with those people who struggle today, who see all the celebrations and see all the joy and feel their own loss and pain. Lord, we know that you are with them as well. So God, as we celebrate, as we have joy, as we experience joy today, we just pray that that joy would be Uh, rested on the character, uh, your character, who you are, and who you, you have called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.